we rolled out a DNA series in the church that was particularly sort of just really trying to capture some of the very values that course through the veins of Arena Church. They're not peculiar just to this church, but they are specific to this church. And we've, we've talked about some of those things over the last few weeks again with hopefully some sense of freshness and intensity. And we try to bring, a, a, if you like, a new word into the context that will just really inspire us in this season to be all that God's intended us to be. You may remember early in the year we did a little series simply entitled Intentionality. And there are many things in terms of our Christian faith, not on the basis of us trying to work hard to get to God, but out of what we've heard this morning of his amazing love to us, which I'll refer to in a moment, we're intentional about doing what God's called us to do. So we've talked about discipleship. We talked about passion. We talked about unity, and we've talked about team. We talked about um, a number of other things like faith and and uh, and mercy, which was a, a great message from Christian last week. And Christian concludes next week. But this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about generosity. And uh, uh, there's a verse in Matthew chapter five, and right at the end of Matthew chapter five, the words of Jesus, where it says these things. It says. Do not be uh, like the pagans, but be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know whether we can put up the other verse of that in the message. The word perfect there is not talking about being perfect, in other words, of sinlessly perfect. Big debate over the years with people, but the reality is we live in a fallen world, and even as Christians sometimes we're impacted by that. But he's talking about being mature. But in the message, as so often happens, Eugene Peterson really captures the heart of where we want to go this morning, Because he says, in a word, this is what I am saying, the words of Jesus. This is the word to us this morning. He says, grow up, you kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. That's what get robs from us in our sin. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Live generously and graciously we put the backdrop back on if that's okay and so here's a call friends this morning for generous living i want to just preface the message by giving a word of testimony because seven months ago in in our national conference of assemblies of god in may i gave a message it was a message of a similar theme to this morning i'm going to come at it a little different because the context of the listening audience is different but it was a call to be generous and the reality is that Lots of people tend to run to a cynical edge when they hear about a message on generosity because they assume that it's going to be driven by a call to finance. I'll make one or two references to finance this morning. But let me say right here and now that if you think that this message this morning is simply about finance, you're going to completely miss the point. And the reality is, friends, over many years of experience and observation of Christian church, I think we've fallen into a trap. I think we've tried to get people in the church to give financially and they've not understood how to live generously and it's been a problem. But when you start to live generously, you will automatically give financially to the heart of God. And the reality is that when you do that, as I'll draw the message to a conclusion this morning, you connect, cooperate with the very purpose of God in the earth. And it's an amazing thing to be able to do just that. 
But in that service of two or three hundred leaders, I was cheered on on the front row by a gang of people from Arena Church. But there were people in there that were sussing me out because at that conference, I'd had the privilege of being elected into the national leadership team and uh, leading a new area called the Central Area. I'd led East Midlands region for nearly six years, but this was a different ball game. 140 churches spread over 10 counties, and uh, and uh, some of those guys thinking, "Well, what's this guy like?" I knew that. I got that. That's, that's great when you're getting up to speak, isn't it? Because preachers are far worse than, than people, you know. In terms, I think we survived and it seemed to go okay. And the reality is that God's been good. Because I walked out of Huddersfield at the conference with just me. And John's saying, well, create a team. We've now got a team of ten, including me, that operate in various gifts all over the area. We've just done our second season of zone gatherings and we've had 170 leaders meeting those zone gatherings in Leicester, Birmingham and Nottingham. A great spirit that's prevailed in every one of those and a real team emerging for the glory of God. So that, not in any sort of, uh, of tribal sense, but that belonging to a national network of churches, we can be stronger together, that's leaders, Impelled to the compelling vision that is to give every man, woman and child in this country an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus and to find a local church where they can grow discipled and live in their God-given identity. And the reality is today, friends, there are 54 million folks that haven't pitched up at church, so there's plenty to go at. And I want to give thanks to the Lord because God has been good. Some of you that have been in my office will know I've got a map up. I get the area. I like places. You know... I, 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 so if you said to me, where's Scunthorpe is? You might not know where it is, but I know it is. I even know where Blockswich is. Now, that's a place. Uh, it's near Walsall. And, uh, but the reality is, friends, I get it. And uh, I, I'd like to say that that map's not kept me awake at three o'clock in the morning, but there are occasions where it has. There are days when it's been gulp time. There are days when the first prayer, first words of the day is, help me, Jesus. I'd like to say that all the leaders have behaved impeccably. Uh, we'll move on. And the fact of the matter is that God has been so good. God has been so good. And during this time, I thought, well, I'd better change my car because the Rover had 244,000 miles on it with the original engine. And I ought to give credit where credit's due. It was a Honda engine in, an, in a Rover car. And, uh, but it was starting to fray around the edges. I don't know you've had a car where you're the only person who can drive it because it becomes so quirky that if anybody else sat in the car... You know, you don't just move the gears like that. It's sort of, and then it goes in. And anyway, I'm driving past the garage, coming back from Mansfield. I thought, well, that car looks okay. And it was a, it was a, a Volkswagen Passat. It was 10 years old, but, it, but it, it looked nice. The following week, I said to Sharon, what do you think about that car there? It was still there, coming back from Mansfield on Sunday night. She said, well, the colour's nice. Now, you, you know, guys, that once you've got the colour okay, everything... So I says, okay, we'll play some brinkmanship. I says, you know, I'm silly enough to believe that sort of, in some sense, God, not in a weird sense, but I thought, we'll give it another week, and if it's still there, we'll go and look at the specs. So the following week, we stopped on the way back from Mansfield. One owner, 51,000 miles, 10 years. So anyway, I went to see the car, and I says, it almost seems too good to be true, and if it's too good to be true, it usually is. But in this case, it wasn't. And... uh, and he says, one owner. I says, well, why anybody bought it? So we've been driving past for three weeks. He says, well, it's a white plate. So if it had been a 52, 53, it had been snapped up. But it's a white plate. He says, but here's the keys. Go and have a look around in it. So anyway, it was, a, it was a car that sort of fitted the price range, and we bought it. Now, here's the truth. 51,000 miles in 10, in 10 years. I did 5,000 in 10 weeks. So, so, and I was saying to Sharon, this car must be saying, not again. Not again. You know, I've had an easy life all this time, and... We've become friends with the M42 and the M5 and the M6. 
And somebody in the church is kind of giving me a sat-nav, but I've done all that without a sat-nav. How's that? <laughs> At one point, he had three maps on the front seat, but we made it. <clears throat> I love maps as well, of course, as some of you know. And, uh, strange man, you know, but... Uh, but the fact is, God's been good, friends. And I want to say that the release of Christian and, and the guys to sort of release me up. You see, because all this has been done on one day a week. Because, you know, pastors only work on Sundays. It's incredible, isn't it? And uh, we've done all that on a Sunday. And uh, I think I've kept the arena journey on track. And the fact is that arena, arena spills out of my life everywhere I go. So we talk about repurposed church. I talk about arena. We talk about team ministry. I talk about arena. Many of our guys have got a fixation with number ones, number twos, number threes, number fours. And actually, I've come to understand that the reason they talk like that is they've not understood the discipleship principle of death that makes team work. And when you die, you live. When you give it away, you find it. And uh, the reality is that's been the journey of arena. And uh, so, Christian, thanks, and, and the guys. And, and uh, I, I just give glory to God for all of that because that's all happened in recent times. And here we are now talking about generosity. Here's a definition for Generosity. A readiness and liberality of giving that is free from meanness. And here's the truth. As Julie prophetically led us in worship this morning, we're reminded that we can be generous because God has been amazingly generous to us. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, The words of the beloved disciple John, Behold, how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is a privilege. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. His love never runs dry, it never gives up. Whatever the context this morning, friends, God loves always able to meet the needs. He's so high, so wide, so long, so deep, you can't get round it, over it, under it. God loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He has lavished his love generously upon every person here so that you might live in your God-ordained identity. The enemy's going to contest for it. The enemy's going to come with the accusing voice and say, you're not loved, everybody else in the churches, but you're not. The things that you've done mean that you'll never be loved. You'll never be forgiven. You'll never be able to get back to God. You'll never... But God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I lavish my love upon you so that you might be the children of God. And when we did the DNA message which Christine delivered, we were reminded about being generous in words and in time and resource. And there's a renewed call this morning. So here's the truth, friends. The reality is this, that a mean-spirited Christian believer is the very antithesis of a gracious-hearted God. It really doesn't stack up. And here's the culture of Arena Church. We're going to live generously. We are going to live generously. We're going to be liberated into all that God has called us to be. Now, here's three dangers to avoid. Number one, a f- refusal to respond. So you hear the challenge of the word this morning, saying, no, 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 no. I'm just going to live how I've always lived, and so I'm going to be all that I've always been. I'm going to get all that I've always got. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you only apply the challenge this morning of generosity to finance. And here's the question again. How are we going to respond to give financially if we've not learned to live generously and the third danger is that you apply it to others you continually apply it to people that you think are more applicable and appropriate to receive the message and it may be this morning that you need to adjust your heart attitude because here's the truth the calling to live generously is to every one of us young people if you grab the message of living generously this morning you will allow god to begin to sow something into your heart that will remain for a lifetime and you will touch thousands of people by the way that you live Now, there were clearly in Bible times people that could have been generous that weren't. 
Listen to these paint-stripping words from Peterson again in James chapter 5. And a final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets of tears for the crash when the crash comes. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth, but actually you've piled up judgment. And it goes on to talk about the fact that they've done this by exploiting the workforce to their own ends. And God was not pleased. But listen to these words in chapter 8. Paul speaking to a group of Christians in the churches in Macedonia. He says, now friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in the Macedonian province. Fierce troubles come upon the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limits. The trial exposed their true colours. It always does. And they were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there, and I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. That was a generous church. And the reality is, friends, around Arena Church, there are all sorts of a different range of people in terms of finance and resource and journey, but we are all called to live generously. You see, generosity is not about assets, it's about attitude. It's not about occasional spontaneity. Ooh, Christmas time, season of goodwill, I'll give something. It's not about occasional spontaneity, it's about consistent intentionality. Every day of every week, of every month, of every year. It's not about emotion, even though our emotions get stirred on many occasions. It's about the will. Because if you get emotionally stirred and never respond, it's pointless. It's not about just giving, it's about right living. That's what makes the generous life work. And a number of us around this room have had the privilege on occasions to travel on mission to parts of the world where we realise that people don't live like us. Remember Christian's message earlier in the, sh- in the year about with the prophetic intent that came to it, actually we're all rich. We're all rich. We find, friends, that's why young people need to do mission. Because you realise that millions of young people of your age group don't live like you. And they don't determine wealth like we do. Because they are desperately poor. But many of us have found on mission that in those situations we've been ambushed by incredible generosity when people seem to be surrounded by abject poverty. They understand the power of the generous life. And briefly this morning, I want to just give you three things in a response to living the generous life, to carrying the DNA culture of Arena Church into every aspect of your life. Number one, we need to be generous with encouragement. Discouragement is corrosive to the soul. And it's not the culture of this house. This is a discouragement-free zone. We've not put a sticker on the door with a cross over it. But spiritually, friends, we're going to keep it at the door. You see, discouragement robbed the victorious prophet of any sort of perspective. And he wanted to curl up and die. His name was Elijah. Discouragement caused the forerunner to Jesus to doubt whether actually Jesus was the Messiah. His name was John the Baptist. 
discouragement brought the rebuilding of the temple to a grinding halt. And Haggai the prophet had to bring the word of the Lord. It says in Ezra that people set out to discourage the people of God. Listen to this story, true story. There was a man born in Holland who had every potential to be one of the great evangelists of his generation. He was a son of the manse. If you're not sure what a manse is, it's that crazy idea where when you have a minister, you don't have a minister, but you put him in a tight house. Well, that's control to the deacons, isn't it? Because not only, do you, not only can he get the sack, but he's homeless. I think the idea of a manse, friends, was born in hell, not in heaven. I'm sorry. Because it's so given control to people. But anyway, I better move on because it sounds like a hobby horse, and it is. And, uh, <clears throat> but here's a son of the manse. And he had a huge heart for mercy that caused him to work amongst the poor in London and Brussels. And then he began to train theologically for ministry. But as he began to train and continue to minister the poor, he faced many criticisms about the expression of his ministry. And so he returned, leaving the ministry to his other great talent and passion. His name was Vincent van Gogh. You see, we found a great artist, but we lost a great minister on the power of discouragement. The George Barner Research Group is a group that works particularly in the church in North America, assessing trends within that church. Here's the truth for you to think about. George Barner recently produced some uh, analysis and documentation that looked at churches and Christian prayed about Stephen's father this morning finishing well. And friends, we want to finish well. But of all the ministers in North America that enter the ministry, here's the truth from the Barner Research. Only one in ten completes the journey of ministry. All 90% of those guys and girls that entered the ministry in the first place, fresh-faced, naive, wanting to serve God, coming out of Bible school, running a church, are all those people bad? No, a few of them are. But most of them, friends, crumpled under the weight of discouragement. That's why they're not in the ministry. We must be passionate about encouraging at every level. Can I encourage you this morning, you say, well, you might say this anyway, to encourage your leaders in the church, not only this church, but every church. The Bible says that we ought to pray for our leaders. And the reality is, friends, that leadership is always sacrificial. If I drove up, not in a Volkswagen Passat, but a brand new Bentley, you'd almost go, the reality is my life would still be sacrificial. My wife, my kids, my, my environment would always be sacrificial simply because of the weight of ministry that is carried. Christian's life is always sacrificial, every day. Did you read that in the paper this week where a vicar tried to take his church to an industrial tribunal? It doesn't sound a particularly happy parish. But um, he, he took them to a tribunal because they tried to get rid of him. And the industrial tribunal says, no, no, you can't do that because you're employed by God. All right. And, you know, there's a truth in that. Because Jesus Christ, in his risen ascension power, has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church sovereignly. He has given them to the church. So anyway, there was a debate. It got me thinking, smiling. Because I thought, not only do some people think that we're employed by God, they think we're paid by God. <laughs> Never mind about an out-of-town retail experience. This is an out-of-earth retail experience. This is how it goes. Oh, you're a pastor. So you go to the out-of-earth retail experience and say, yeah, I need some groceries. Tesco say, you're a pastor, it's free. You go to the out-of-earth petrol station. You're a pastor. Oh, no, fill up for nothing. It's free. 
You go to the British Gas and uh, Mr. Bentley, the chief executive, and say, I'm a pastor. Oh, no, never mind about the complication of tariffs. You can have yours free. And some people believe that's how it works, friends. 32 years into this journey, I find that we have to pay for the groceries every month. I'd, I'd love at 131 a gallon to be getting it free, but this got to go in. And the gas board put up my tariff by 13 quid a month as the winter came, you know, to anticipate what I was going to use this year. What can I pay for what I used? Oh, no, 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 we've got to anticipate what you're going to use. In other words, friends, we pay the same as everybody else. And the reality is at times that we've got to take that into account. Now I'm talking to an Indian pastor friend of mine that serves one of our churches in Leicestershire. He came to Arena Church this week. He wanted to look around the church. He's a great guy. I'll avoid doing the Indian accent because when I've done the Indian accent before, people say it sounds like you're from South Wales. So, so, so I'll avoid it. You know. But he's a wonderful pastor, wonderful brother. And... Uh, He says, we have a saying in India, I'm really tempted, but I'm not. He says, we have a saying in India, Phil, that if you, this is is church to leadership, if you look after the cow, the cow takes care of the milk. I thought on reflection, I thought, well, I've never been called a cow before, but then then maybe I have, you know. And, uh, and, uh, but if you take care of the cow, in other words, friends, so often ministries try to operate under a weight of so many other things taking place in their life. And it comes out of, with the greatest respect at times, churches that haven't proved to be generous. Here's the truth. If you're part of Arena Church, I'm going to be bold here. If you're part of Arena Church, if you've signed up to partnership, if this is your church, if you've received ministry, if this is where you're pumped, if this is where you want to be part, and you never put a penny in the bag, that is discouraging. That is discouraging. You've got an opportunity, never mind about the things on the, on the WhatsApp, whatever channel and Reverend so-and-so's ministry and the latest thing you've had through the door. You do that after you've supported the local house. Because the local house doesn't have an out-of-earth experience where everything's free. It's paying every, like everyone else. And by the way, the leadership is putting all of their tithes and offerings back into the local house. Because they are committed to the culture of generosity. Here's the marks of a discourager. Just a few. Criticizing, scrutinizing, nitpicking, grumbling. Judging, complaining. I don't want to live there. Here's the marks of a gracious encourager. Affirming, giving thanks, appreciating, helping, serving, honouring. The great military leader, Lord Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, was asked near the end of his life, Duke, if you could reflect on your life and do anything different, we all dread that question, because clearly there's things we could all do differently. What would be the one thing that you would do differently in your military career, he says, I wish I had more generously given praise. Whoa. I wish I'd given. Friends, I, I don't want to be caught out by saying, I wish I'd said thank you to somebody. I wish I'd told them I appreciated them. I wish I'd cheered them on. I wish I'd affirmed them. I don't want to go so much into myself, my world, my life, my issues, that I miss out on the opportunity every day of cheering other people on. So encouragement, generous with encouragement. But how about this? Number two. Generous in your environment, your circumstances, your habitat is called your house, your world, your sports club, your social group, your workplace, your mates, your neighbourhood, your local church. And that's different things to different people all around this room. And the reality is that if you live generously, you will make a difference. Let me give you two examples. 
On Tuesday night, there was a documentary on BBC Two called When Bankers Were Good. It was narrated by Ian Eslop, and, uh, and uh, I, via Twitter, I got wind of the fact that it was a programme worth watching. Now, I didn't watch it because I was here. <laughs> At Equipus, final week of Ephesians. And thanks for all the folks that pitched up every week for that. But uh, by these sort of gizmos that you can work on your telly now, I ain't got a clue, but I was watching this program. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. The program took us back 200 years to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution that needed financing. He told us about David Barclay, of Barclay fame, who was a believer. He told us about the Gurney family from Norwich. Samuel Gurney became a legend. These people, friends, were Quaker Christians. They had a passionate faith in Jesus Christ. God blessed them in finance. But in their environment, they didn't use that finance to heap just on themselves. They used it to change the world. And so the sister of Samuel Gurney was Elizabeth Fry. And those of you that like your history will know that Elizabeth Fry was one of the great prison reformers of that generation, particularly into women's prisons. And some of you have been to prisons in these days. If you think they're bad now, they were dreadful then. So he bankrolls his sister in this amazing prison reform campaign. And here's, the, here's what they said. They said to be deemed reckless in our profession was an embarrassment to us. Whoa, can we fast forward that 200 years? To be deemed reckless was an embarrassment to us. They said, we've made good, so we're going to do good. Inspired by the faith. Inspired. What about George Peabody, 1862? He wrote a deed of trust. You can see I was busily taking notes off this television program. See, the preacher's always at work. He wrote a deed of trust in 1862 that gave away the equivalent of millions of pounds. This man lived on 1% of his earned income and gave the rest away. 150 years later, friends, in London today, there are 50,000 people housed in 20,000 homes that are known as the Peabody Homes. Today, 50,000 people in London through the general... And what about Burnett Coots? Coots Bank. Whoa. But if you're in Coots Bank... You've got a few, Bob. The Queen goes to Coots Bank. She said, she said, as a bank financier of 200 years ago, I wanted to be liberated from money so that I could be socially responsible. That's somebody that's got money, but money's not got them. That's somebody that's understood that the Bible says that mon- the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root. You could have three quid in your pocket and be as mean as anybody because you love it. Here are people, friends, literally in their day giving away millions and millions and millions of pounds out of their environment of being blessed to make money, to see the kingdom come and his will be done in Jesus' name. And I believe prophetically across this church, God's going to raise up people that are going to have the opportunity to do exactly the same. Question, in the 21st century, will you rise to the challenge? Will you get it and give it? Will you, having done good, be good? Sowing into context, friends, that change the nation. And the nations, that is the gift of generosity and giving recorded in Romans chapter 12. You say, ha ha, well that's alright. 
But uh, those people earned a few bob, they did. Let me take you to Terminal 5 of Heathrow Airport a few weeks ago. Because you'll know that I had the privilege of being part of an eight-man delegation that went to Cairo to meet with a church there. Let me just say about Egypt, the elections are due to begin tomorrow. You, you, you see the instability. I was in Tahrir Square four weeks ago, standing on that mound of earth where the riots and protests and demonstrations have all started again. And at Casa El Dabara Church, a 7,000-strong church, just round the corner from uh, Tahrir Square, email from Fazik, the missions director, has literally been turned into a hospital this past week as they've ministered to people that have been gassed by the military authorities. You need to pray. So we're in Terminal 5. Interestingly, the bags didn't get lost and it seemed to work great. But we're in Terminal 5, and that was the meeting point for the delegation. On the plane, off the plane, queuing to go through customs in Egypt, midnight. Everybody's tired. John Partington, our esteemed national leader, is in a queue all on his own. And John's the type of guy that if there's nobody engaged in a conversation with him, he'll have a conversation with himself. He doesn't do quiet, he doesn't do silence, he doesn't go in on himself. He's an incredibly generous man. So when we came out the other side with our passport stamped and to meet our host driver, he says, you won't believe this. <laughs> and he asked that about 27 times a day. You won't believe this. He says, you won't believe this. That couple then, they had this, there was this guy that came through in the late 60s in a Panama hut. They were, they were touring in, in, in uh, Cairo. This is the generous life. They got talking and uh, they said to John, so what do you do? He said, well, I'm a Christian minister. He said, we, we, we're a delegation of us. She, they said, we knew it. We knew it. When you arrived in the terminal, we were watching you. And we watched the way that you greeted each other and seemed genuinely pleased to be together. These are my, their words, not mine. And we knew there was something special about you. All we said was hello. All we said was hello. We said it generously. We said it openly. We said it cheerfully. People are watching you. They're watching you. You may say, well, I'm never going to be a banker. I'm never going to be a financier. But you can generously smile at somebody. You can generously greet somebody. You can generously so carry yourself that the kingdom of darkness looks on and says, there is something special about that person simply because of the way they conduct themselves. We can all do that. Amazing. So generous in your environment. And it's so... Important, friends, that we do exactly that. <clears throat> and finally, generous in your encouragement, generous in your environment, generous in your engagement. <clears throat> See, Christianity is not about head knowledge. Christianity, it really isn't. Now, I love to teach the word, I love to open the word, I don't have problems with people thinking things through, I don't have any problem with that, but you will never just think your way into heaven. You will never be clever enough in your theology to get there on your own. You have to come into a heart relationship with Jesus that deals with your pride, that pulls down your defences and lavishes love all over your life. And living for God is a heart connection, it finds out what God's interested in then joins in. Very often the church has been finding out what they're interested in and asking God to join in. It doesn't work like that because he's the sovereign Lord. 
He's the boss. He's in control. We find out what God's interested in, then we cooperate with it. And we cooperate with it generously. So here's three things that God's interested in, and they're all Christian to do with people. He's not interested in buildings, as nice as buildings are. He's not interested in red seats. He's not interested in a new sound system. We need one. He's not interested in nice lights. We're going to have some new lights. He's not really interested. He's passionate about every boy and girl, baby, young man, and retiree in this room this morning. He's passionate about the 35, 40,000 people in this town. He's passionate about the 6 million people across the East Midlands. He's passionate about that whole sort of swathe of people that take up the Midland County. He's passionate about the 60-odd million people in, our, in the UK. He's passionate. We've now gone to 7 billion. 7 billion in the earth. That lady in the Philippines, woo, 7th body worked it out, I don't know. But the 7th billionth baby. It takes me back to last night, but we better move on. But, you know... <laughs> people. So here's three things that you can engage with. Number one, you can engage with his church generously. I'm not just talking about giving to the church, I'm on about engaging with the church. You see, because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11, that it's through the church that the many varied colours of God's wisdom will be revealed to the principalities and powers, and this according to his eternal purpose. There are lots of people out there trying to reinvent the purpose of God. They're saying, God's going to do it through this. God's going to do it through this. God's going to do it through that. God's going to do it through this. God's going to do it. He's not going to do it through any of those things. He is going to do it through the church. Through passionate, prevailing local church. Church where it's hard. Church where there's never been revival. Church where people seem to be disinterested. Church where it takes a lot of tilling of the soil. Church that, where people say, it'll never happen in Ilkeston. It'll never happen in Mansfield. You'll never grow a prevailing church, they've told him. You'll never grow a prevailing church there, Christian. That's where God wants to do church. Where people generously engage with the eternal purpose of God. And the local church, to quote one great preacher, is the hope of the world. And then secondly, we engage with his passion. And his passion is found at the end of Matthew 28, where he says, Go into all the world and preach the good news. Making disciples. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you even to the very end of the age. So if you don't think God's with you at work this week, he is. If you're the only Christian in your school and think all alone, God's with you. He says even to the very end of the age. God, Jesus, Spirit are passionate, not just about believers, but devoted Christ followers, disciples. And when we generously engage with that program, we can believe for God to bless. And thirdly, we need to engage with his heart. And Jesus gave it away in Luke chapter 4, his first message, as the boy made good from Nazareth when he stood up in the synagogue. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the things that the spirit of the Lord was upon him for was to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. Now, over the years, there's been debates, friends. Sometimes people such as as our type of church have sometimes in the past arrogantly said, we'll preach and, and, and the social lot can get on with feeding. And that is a travesty of the gospel because the gospel is always word and works. It's always preaching, but it's always doing. And there's a prophetic mandate upon the church today that every prevailing church seems to be tapping into. Whether it's a few cans of beans in the back of a boot of a car, or whether it's some of the huge social projects that are taking place, even close to where we live and on the doorstep of our church. Generously engaging with God's heart, which is a heart for the poor. Poor materially. Poor with no food. Why we've got food bank. Poor morally. 
people that friends frankly need some moral structures laid into their lives poor physically can't get out of bed this morning to come to church poor because they're elderly seen some of the reports recently about some of the ways that we need to honor the elderly better poor spiritually all of those things ecclesiastes says be generous invest in acts of charity how do we do it well we do it by mission and the mission is jerusalem judea samaria the ends of the earth it's right on the doorstep of the church where we live it's into the area it's through cross-cultural engagement and there's no barrier because it is to the ends of the earth so christian and chris going to accra in dark garden of the week and chris christian will share on that in terms of the, the juices and the blessing of that trip but that only that not only enriched those people but it enriched us and every time people from this church young people uh, people are talking to somebody this week one of the great sisters of our church that's doing mission again next year it's a reflection it's generously sown into the heart of god we can do it by spon- sponsorship and we'll be challenged by tim robertson in that in early january we can do it through mercy and we realize that mercy is not just an offering but it's a practical response to it we can do it through time you may be saying as we close well what's in it for me well probably nothing uh, are all these people going to come to our church very doubtful and might not we get ripped off very possibly but we're going to do it anyway we're going to do it with wisdom but we're going to do it anyway and if you if you've been ripped off in the past and have gone like that and said that's it i'm never going to do it again god by the power of his spirit wants to set you free this morning in the power of his presence to begin to live a generous life again here's a description of one of the greatest ministers of the 20th century who impacted a fallen pastor who found restoration through generosity. The words of Gordon MacDonald's. Billy Graham walked into my, walking into my life has always marked it. He was a man who preached to millions and met with presidents, but he never became so aloof from people that he could not bring me a bottle of medicine or a word of grace to a flawed man in need of kindness. That's the generous life. And the culture statements are going to come up on the board. And uh, some of you have been desperately trying to write these down. And Danielle's done a great job by sending out the culture statements week by week. We're going to produce either a new booklet or an additional booklet that will have all the culture statements on. We've not got them off the internet. We try to craft them in our own words. And uh, here they are. And I'm just going to work through them. Time's gone. I'm just going to talk you through them. But just allow the juices of the challenge to live culturally generous impact your heart again today whatever that is for you and it'd be different things for different people all across the room so generosity in arena church we will recognize that we are blessed by god's amazing generosity to us and so be liberated to this journey of a generous life number two we will always take opportunities to give out rather than hold back number three We will allow generosity of heart to pervade, influence, touch every area and attitude of our lives. Four, we will understand that generosity is never determined by how much we have got, but by what we do with what we have got. And fifthly, I wish it was my quote, but it's the great John West, but it's worthy of inclusion. We will be intentionally generous because Wesley says, by doing all that we can, by all the means that we can, in all the ways that we can, in all the places that we can, at all the times that we can, to all the people that we can, for as long as we can, we will be generous. 
I tell you, a church that lives like that, friends, will make a difference. I'm conscious, friends, that we live in financially challenging times. Sharon will tell you that I occasionally watch the news. <clears throat> and uh, I, 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 we're all impacted. The global financial crisis, friends, has been huge. And it's probably dug deeper and been more intense than actually we probably could even imagine. And of course, we're not out of it yet. And here's the danger. The danger is that even as Christian believers on the journey, when we feel the consequences of a real world around us, we're tempted to go in on ourselves. And we take that, 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 that little phrase that we, we then pretend in the Bible. We've got to look after number one in this instance. It's not in the Bible. And I want to encourage you, friends, however challenging, however demanding, are we ever easy it is to say, I'm not going to put anything in the bin in the, in, the, in the tubs, in the containers for the next six months. However, all those things go through your heart. I'm, I'm not going to give my time. I'm not going to press out. I'm just going to be content about me. I want to encourage you this morning to be liberated by the amazingly generous love of God, to be all that God's intended you to be, to live in your God-ordained identity, to be generous, to live generously by encouragement so that we don't strike down, but we live, to live generously in our environment, whatever that is. And to live generously in our engagement with the purposes of God. And the, and the fruit of that, well, Isaiah 58 gives it to us. It says that people respond like that will be a well-watered garden and a gurgling spring that never runs dry. Let's live generously.